Good morning. It's uh, Alejandro Badia with another bi-weekly episode of the podcast, Fixing Healthcare from the Trenches. I am very honored today to have a, a real leader in the uh, healthcare, particularly the orthopedic uh, healthcare investment banking uh, community. And this is Hector Torres, who's here in Chicago. So um, Hector and I met at a physician transaction conference, pretty much focused on orthopedic transactions. And since I happen to be in Chicago here for the for the Becker's Healthcare meeting, which is an amazing meeting, by the way, I said to Hector, let's, let's try to meet and let's uh, let's let's do a podcast together and talk about really what the issues are facing healthcare. So Hector's background is interesting because we both went to school in Western New York. We 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 had a lot of time to study because he was at Syracuse, I was at Cornell. Terrible weather, right. no good restaurants. Very conducive to study. That's right. And uh, he did his. I went to law school there, right? And and he got a business degree yeah. there in law school. And he has um, was in a uh, boutique uh, uh, healthcare investment banking that was uh, now acquired by a very big company that has multiple offices there. And I'll tell you about it. They're based in uh, in Japan. And we've been talking about um, certainly the, the orthopedic urgent care landscape. So but moreover, this podcast, as, the, as, as we all know, is really a bigger charge, which is really how can we fix healthcare in the U.S., which is now approaching 20%. So I'll, uh, I'll let Hector tell you some of the exciting things he's working on. Thank you, Dr. Bidia. Pleasure to be with you and, and to be here at the Becker's Conference in Chicago. Um, my name is Hector Torres. I'm a managing director with DC Advisory, and I cover our healthcare services and healthcare provider coverage efforts on behalf of the firm. And really, um, our, our mandate is, is simple um, when we boil it down, which is to really be a resource and a true advisor to our healthcare clients, and in particular, our physician group clients that are looking for access to capital and strategies to really be able to change the paradigm in healthcare and ensure the sustainability of their practices, but ultimately ensure the sustainability of best-in-class patient care, uh, which is obviously uh, what we all aspire to do. So it's a pleasure and a privilege to be here with you. Well, no, absolutely, because I think that most physicians have to realize we don't have a business acumen. Most of us don't have a now many uh, many of the younger ones are getting MBAs, and, and I, I, I applaud that. But the reality is that it's just we're not trained in that, and it, and I truly believe to fix healthcare, we we need to have partners who understand uh, the, the the financial part, the, the regulatory part, the the legal part, and um, the, you know as you know, there's been a, a fair amount of uh, trepidation, maybe even backlash against some the private equity world. Yeah. So I'd, I'd love for you to address that for our, for our listeners. Yeah. Well, it's a great uh, way to kick things <laughs> off. I, I like it. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of depredation and I think there's a lot of what we call negative fantasies, right? Okay. Um, and I think that those negative fantasies are rooted in some uh, basis. I think it really stems from the 1990s and the FICOR uh, era okay. Where a lot of physicians and business and the business community at large partnered in ways that weren't necessarily aligned among themselves, okay. and I think importantly in ways that weren't necessarily aligned to delivering patient care uh, in a best-in-class way. The market evolution from that late '90s period to today has transformed. Uh, yeah. To say it's changed would be uh, insufficient in terms of just the dynamic element of of where we find ourselves today. Today, pri private equity um, 
is more relevant and pre prevalent in healthcare than ever before. Uh, because to your point, um, healthcare represents almost 20% of GDP in spend. Um, and um, it's, some, it's, 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 it's fraught with inefficiency, right? Yeah, right. Um, highly inefficient. And their mandate is to help enable growth and success um, and address some of those inefficiencies with a variety of means, right? Obviously, they bring a lot of capital. Uh, and with capital, you can do a lot of good things. But they also, I think, bring a lot of administrative and management expertise and, and support uh, that is very much needed um, today. But um, look, so economies of scale and efficiencies where, yes, one of the misconceptions, right, is that we're going to be, you know, told or even influenced about how to practice healthcare, and I think certainly if you're doing it in an efficient and overly costly manner, you know, we, that'll be pointed out. Yes. But I don't think my understanding, what I've spoken to most colleagues, have said that no, you're, you're, the, uh, our partners in that are not stepping on our toes and, and want us to do the best thing for our patients, which ultimately saves money, right? That's right. I've always said that. I mean, yeah. good good healthcare is is actually very thrifty healthcare yes. actually yeah. yeah that is the biggest negative fantasy right. the thought that someone uh that may look and dress like me uh in a very <laughs> which is very good by the way I, <laughs> thank I, I, you i agree <laughs> well to, same to you uh but all joking aside yeah. the concept of someone in a tall building in new york city is going to be calling me on a tuesday telling me how to practice medicine the reality is that doesn't happen yeah. for a lot of reasons yeah. legally it cannot right okay. um but structurally, it doesn't either, because in a lot of times we structure our deals where we're representing the physicians, whereby clinical autonomy is preserved in perpetuity, yes. meaning it doesn't matter whether you have a private equity partner today or you end up having 15 of them down the road. Once you've partnered with the first one, the ability for the physicians to control every singular aspect of the practice of medicine is paramount, right? And if there's a private equity firm that wants to deviate from that model, well, it's probably not the right private equity firm, and it's probably not one that's uh, well versed in. This well, they're, they're, and they're probably not going to last, right? Because right. and and there are right there are P firms and even and even orthopedic MSOs, right? Yeah. So uh, you know maybe even tell tell our viewers or, or, or maybe not uh, our our physician viewers, but the public yeah. about what you know what MSOs are and what what they bring to to healthcare. Yeah, MSOs are the management services organizations that really act as the administrative uh, support uh, and infrastructure for these PE-backed um, uh, physician uh, platforms. And in particular, in orthopedics, it's been explosive in the last five years. Um, there are no less than twenty private wow. equity-backed uh, orthopedic and musculoskeletal platforms and growing uh, because orthopedics is obviously um, a high beta area, right? It's it's very sexy in terms of the surgical composition of the services being delivered, but also the ancillary services. Think right. of DME, imaging, surgery centers, uh, orthopedic urgent right. care. Ortho and, and that's what this meeting is about. So for, exactly. for, the, for the public to understand, Becker's uh, Healthcare, which has multiple meetings a year, this one is strictly about about ambulatory surgery centers. And the, the, the core uh, message here is that you can do many of these surgeries. Certainly, let's just, just talking about orthopedic or musculoskeletal, uh, I haven't done surgery in a hospital in a decade, 10 years no. at all, not one case, yeah. right? So, and, if, and I think intuitively the public is starting to understand that if you can do a surgery, have a procedure in a place that isn't a big hospital, obviously it's gonna be less costly, we learned with the pandemic that you don't have to worry about being at risk, right? Not just with COVID virus, but there are bacterial infections. 
and it's and it's very costly. And and that doesn't mean we we don't need hospitals, obviously, but mm -hmm. um, but for a lot of what we do, the advances in anesthesia, in in the, the technology, imaging, uh, I mean, imaging, every, everything. So yeah, robotics. Uh, I mean, well, I just attended a robotics uh, seminar with a, a colleague actually from uh, Broward County mm -hmm. who's uh, doing some amazing things yeah. with outpatient joint replacements. So, but we have to, you know. My colleague and I have to focus on that, right? The right. medical part's hard enough. Yeah. Uh, we need, we need partners. You, you said something powerful. Yeah. You haven't practiced medicine in an inpatient setting in over a decade. decade. It's incredible. Right? I think in a decade, there will be orthopedic surgeons that never, ever enter the acute care setting, right. meaning they'll never have performed a case in that setting of wow. care. The acute care hospital is very relevant, right? Yes, but absolutely. It's not, but it's not relevant for everything, right? right? right. Um, right. And I think right. that trend you know, will Grandma continue. breaks her hip. She's got to go there. She's right. got to, you know, and... and uh, but, but for much of what we do. So, so, so speaking of, um, we, in terms of healthcare, I mean, I, I have certainly my ideas and I'll, I'll share those, but I mean, what would you say are, are three of the top initiatives? Uh, seeing it from the, the private equity point of view and the business point of view, I mean, what three initiatives would you say we can implement to fix healthcare? Yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> that, the, the, you're starting with the easy question. That's right. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Um, Look, there's uh, so much. Uh, the system is so big. Um, and as we mentioned before, it tends to be very inefficient in a lot of ways, operationally, strategically, clinically, financially. Um, yeah. But I, I think if we really anchor it on three elements, I think the first is um, preventative medicine, right? Wow. Okay. How do we think holistically right. about a you know, continuum of care and how do we educate the patient to prevent, you know, a lot of the incidents and, 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 and chronic disease, right? Which we know, yeah. diabetes, obesity, hypertension, all oh, of those yes. things. Uh, uh, I see Dr. Redler here. One of the beauties of doing this podcast right here at the Becker's meeting, <laughs> Dr. Redler is an alum. Michael Redler is a surgeon. And come over here and say hello. This is uh, this is live. So Dr. Redler is uh, hey, Dr. Dr. Redler, Torres. Good to see you. How are you? All right. Nice Pleasure. to see you. So he's talking about preventive health. Uh, come on in here so we can. Right. So, <laughs> so Dr. Redler, uh, about about a month ago, uh, three, three or four weeks ago, he was on. Yeah. He was in a hotel room. Yeah, I remember the episode. Uh, we did. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I got to tell you, the lighting here in this lobby is way better than a hotel room. <laughs> so, so apparently, you're of such great importance, you get pretty good light here. So this is obviously, in terms of talking about preventative uh, care and medicine. Is so that was his first. Topic. So that's his first initiative. Yep. Right, so preventing care, obviously, I mean, huge. Uh, uh, well, that's the whole notion of right healthcare, not sick care, right? Exactly. Not being reactive. Okay. Exactly. All right. So number two. Number two, I think uh, variability is the biggest cost driver in healthcare, right? Oh, really fascinating. Okay. In a different life. That brings uh, us back to transparency, right? Yeah. Cost, cost. Okay. Yeah. We were. I, I worked in private equity for six years, and we owned a medical device implant company, right? And I was fascinated by the concept that when we looked at the same surgical procedure in New York, in Austin, and in Beverly Hills, completely different costs, completely different reimbursement, almost a completely different procedure in every single facet. Why is that? No, same patient population, same same clinical. Well, because healthcare is very fragmented. So. And in those same markets. Thank you, Doctor. I, I know it's awesome. I'm going to get out of your picture because these are some high level. Questions and obviously some high-level answers. A, le awesome. a leader awesome. in the ASC industry. Yeah. Bring nice it to see you. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Um, so certainly variability. Right, but but even within those markets, you mentioned you mentioned some cities, right? So you know that I'm I've been uh, for the past uh, almost a year. I'm I'm doing some surgery in New York, my old stomping grounds. Mm -hmm. 
those costs are going to be very different where I'm doing surgery, which is the uh, shout out to the Gramercy Surgery Center, right? That yeah. ranked the number one ASC in the New York market for the past couple of years. Uh, but those costs are going to be very different there than in a, an excellent institution, which is where I trained, which is NYU. Yeah. But it's a big, expensive hospital. Big, so those costs are going to be big, different. Big academic medical center, which right. is even more expensive. Right. <laughs> no right. offense, but. Right. It's true. Uh, well, we have, yeah. yeah, we have. I mean, you don't need to have your, you know, speaking from, my, from me, you don't need to have your carpal tunnel or, frankly, even your rotator cuff done in such a big institution. Correct. Right. And, and I think everybody has to agree that we have to get meat in the sandbox and, and re reapportion these things. Yeah. And so the big hospitals, of course, are, are starting to open. Uh, more and more surgery centers, but but they've got to make sure that at a reasonable cost. Yes, they can't be at the same cost yes. as a big hospital. That doesn't right. make sense. And that's a great segue to my third element, which okay. is conceptually alignment of incentives. But it really is value-based care. Really, yeah. how do we incentivize and align ourselves to deliver the right patient care in the right setting of care at the lowest possible cost without burning out our physicians? Right. Well, yeah. Um, the, four, the quadruple aim. Right? The quadruple aim. Now. Let's let's dissect value-based care. The problem is many times things become a cliche. Yes. Right. So we hear that all the time, value-based care. And you know the struggles I've had with trying to bring, you know, orthopedic walk-in centers, which is completely intuitive, to big, um, whether it be healthcare systems or even even uh, a you know companies that are trying to transform healthcare delivery. Right. No, yeah. you know, shout out, No Me Health is here. Yes. Very focused on employers. Yes. Now. So obviously what we're doing is you can call it value-based care, but the public needs to understand what that means. Yeah. And the payers need to understand yeah. what that means. And the thing about it is it's become a cliche of yes. itself in many ways, to your point, because um, it's, it's not a one-size-all model uh, of care. Um, it can be episodic. It could be full continuum of care. It could be full capitated risk. Um, at the end of the day, healthcare is still very local. Right. Yeah, at the very, provider very, level, very at the regional very, level, yeah. at the super regional level, um, value based care is only relevant if it's creating value for your patient population at the local level. Right. Um, so that's going to be very different. But at the end of the day, you have to be incentivized to deliver the right patient care in the right setting at the lowest possible cost and have the insurance company be an ally and a partner. In ensuring in, that outcome? instead of an obstacle, which is we'll, we'll, we'll get to my three. Yeah. So absolutely, instead of an obstacle. Um, yeah, yeah I, absolutely. I mean, and, and the, the frustrating thing is, and, and you know, I, I wrote, the, the, which I think you're almost through, right? Almost healthcare through. from the trenches, but healthcare from the trenches pointing out the problems. I, you know, you know, admittedly wasn't the visionary who said I'm going to write a book and bring more solutions. Well, that's the next book. That's yeah. Well, if if I still have it in me, <laughs> but I will tell you, it is really bright people out there doing that and i'm reading uh, now the the second of two books that uh, that uh, zeev newer has mm -hmm. written so reframing healthcare so i i met with him here at, at becker's he gave a fantastic talk and he's he's mentioning all of the uh, players that are out there doing this and i can relate to this because i've been doing ortho now for 13 years yeah. there is for example a company uh, doing a hospital at home Yes. Right. I mean, think about that. Unless you need an ICU and that kind of in-depth monitoring, you don't necessarily need to occupy a hospital bed. Yeah. Obviously, I understand the hospitals may not like that, 
because they've got all, but but we're all going to have to shift. We're all going to have to shift, even even physician groups, even the larger oh, scale absolutely. physician groups. And not to be too controversial, but my vision <laughs> well, is this actually, is the place to do it. <laughs> exactly. It's, you know, we've seen the evolution of the migration from the inpatient to the outpatient setting yes. of care. And then we've seen the evolution from the inpatient setting to the clinic-based setting. The next evolution is clinic-based setting to in-home setting. In home. With wearables, yes. right? With technology, yes. which is out there, but not being really ad adopted. Look, I got an email today from a colleague in the therapy area who basically told my team, well, I'm not sure the app, I can't promise that the app is not going to be um, adopted. I'm thinking, wait a second, if I told, well, with you, if I told you about an app for wine, you would you would download it immediately. I would, I would right? have told you I already downloaded it. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so here, here is, you know, a wine app, a food app, a, a, a shoot, a, a dating app, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, people immediately... Assuming they're single, hopefully, right? Well, immediately <laughs> adopt that. But yet, I tell them about an app. So, as an example, you know, Ortho Now, the app says you can let us know when you're on your way, mm -hmm. on my way now. You can call an Uber or a Lyft, right? Another another disruption. You can call it Uber or Lyft in the app. You can tell us what time you're going to be there. You can send a picture of your injury if, if relevant, and then the, the clinicians communicate through the app about your about your clinical problem. What more? And yet people, even in the healthcare, are still pushing back, right? So the question is, when are we going to really open our minds? Now, now, if, we told, the, if we told the patient, um, whatever your out-of-pocket costs are, if you use the app, they'll be 50% less, I think they'd use the app, right? Yes, yes. So and that's, but, uh, that's right. where every constituency in the system, the insurance payer, the payers, the providers, they have to align. Right. Well, well, that's the problem. My, my previous CFO would, said that. He said, you know, one of the things he came from a completely different industry and, and he, he made an excellent point. He says, you know, healthcare is one of the few industries where the incentives are not aligned. No. And sometimes they're perverse. Right. right? But, well, yeah. Well, I just had an article. I, I, I'm not sure you saw it about the medical lo uh, loss uh, ratio. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that's a perverse law during the, uh, the ACA, right? Affordable Care Act. That said, an insurance company has to spend 85 percent uh, of their of their money, their earnings, on delivering care. And you say, "Oh, that sounds great, very noble, right?" Okay, pay your people with 15. But there's there's a perverse incentive there that if they save too much money, then they're they're out of whack. That's right. So that has to be repealed. Exactly. So question is, how can it be repealed if in the first two Republican debates, healthcare was not even mentioned? Shocking, right? Shocking. Shocking. Yeah. So, yeah. so here are my three. All right. And, and in line with yours, one is we need um, oversight, not authorization. Right. Mm -hmm. Why should a physician who's the best trained person to decide? And not just a physician, right? You, mid levels are a valuable part mm -hmm. of, of our treatment armamentarium. So a, a nurse practitioner experience and or an orthopedic PA, in case mm -hmm. um, if they say that this this test is needed, why should we have to get an authorization from somebody sitting at a desk who doesn't understand it? That person has a salary and benefits, That's right. right? And they slow down the process and time is money. And in the healthcare, it's not just time is money, is a tumor is being missed or mm -hmm. a joint is getting stiff, right? So that, that's one. Uh, two is, um, is a patient education, public education, which is why we're doing it, right? You're taking your valuable time to do this because we care. We want the public, not yeah. just practitioners, not people uh, in, 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 in you know the healthcare finance industry. We want the public who consumes healthcare 
to understand the problems. Yeah. Right. Um, and and the last one is uh, very important: is a right clinician at the right time. Mm -hmm. That saves money. The the was it in the eighties, Hector, where we started pushing the gatekeepers and, and telling our, our our overworked primary care colleagues that they had to see everything and, and give an approval. Mid to, mid to late 80s. Yeah, that was yeah. a terrible idea. Yeah. I mean, you're taking a, a, a very busy person who's supposed to be keeping us healthy, monitoring monitoring chronic disease, making adjustments, and then telling them, in my case, I'm a shoulder specialist, um, that they had to see them first before they could see me for shoulder. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're not trained in that. Why? And, and then they're going to send a bill, right? So now the insurance company is paying a bill for the primary care doctor. Then, then maybe the general orthopedist and the general orthopedist says, you know what? I really do more hip and knee. Mm -hmm. So now you got to go to this crazy guy, Badia, for your shoulder. Yeah. And now we spend money. And how frustrated is the patient? Yeah. Oh, terribly. And well, how much pain is that patient? In terms so, of so here's the question. How frustrated do patients to the public have to be before they step up and talk about this, whether it be social media, as we did with racial injustice, as we do with yeah. Save the Whales years yeah. ago, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, this is a, a movement that has to come from the public. I think it's a movement that needs to come yes. to your point, and it has to be driven by the patient. Right. Uh, because the patient's the one that votes, right? right. Um, and the patient yeah. votes with their feet, right? Absolutely. Um, and I think from the highest office in the land to the most local office in the land, um, this has to be an issue that's being driven by the patient from an advocacy and, and, and prioritization perspective. Well, so ending with that note, whoever's watching this, if you think this is interesting, you know, we, we love likes and all of that, but no, we want you to share this and talk about it and critique us, please. I, I, there's nothing better than somebody writes me and says, somebody, I think you're wrong about this. Fine. But engage, care, yes. and, and that's how we're going to change it. And I look forward to doing more work with you, maybe business, yes, and bring in um, a better orthopedic care to the public. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for all. Thank you. Thank you. See you in two weeks, everyone.